Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. I'm so happy to have Latoya Hinton Howery on. She's a site owner. She is the CEO and research director of Next Innovative Clinical Research and Guru Nation. She's in the Chicago. That's Chicago land area, right? So I'm in the Chicago land area. My site is in Houston. Oh, your site's in Houston. Yes. All right. So that adds a whole nother element of what we can discuss managing a site remotely, which I don't think I've ever had someone on on the podcast who's done that successfully at least there's people who've tried but you know it's that's tough that adds all another element and challenge but anyways latoya for those that don't know you need to connect with her her linkedin is underneath the video and if you're listening we appreciate it it's in the show notes just connect with her on linkedin all right um she is again the ceo and research director of next innovative clinical research she's based out of the chicago area her site is in Houston. We have to talk about that, but she's also she transitioned from CRC to CRA, and we're going to get into her career path a little bit. Um, but we started out right before we started recording about how business is going right now in August 2022, and for you, it's booming. Yeah, we have a, a ton of um, women's health patients. So we're doing a um, a study for women who have endometriosis and fibroids. It's a birth control study. And like I said, my doctor, she's really big on women's health. So we had a ton of women who had fibroids and endo. So and there was a lot of women that wanted to participate. Hmm. Yeah, is so. is your PI a OBGYN or internal medicine? No, she's family medicine, but we have a sub I wow. that's OBGYN. All right. So we'll talk about that, too. So first of all, I mean, let's just get into like how you get started in research to begin with. I see on your LinkedIn, as far back as I can look, a medical assistant. Yes. 
And then yeah, how did you discover research like from that? So I was getting my master's at Benedictine University in Illinois, and one of our classes was focused on research. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty interesting. So I started applying for um, entry-level positions. So I was really working as a medical assistant with my master's. And because I knew I wanted a position that was it's rare, <laughs> it's very rare. And yeah. I hung around because I wanted what I wanted. And my first research job was given to me. I was hired because I had a master's degree. So I was smart enough to be able to figure out regulatory. But I was a medical assistant by trade. So I could draw blood, do EKGs and do all the, the medical stuff. So they thought I was I was perfect. So, you know, I went yes. for it and it was the the perfect position for me. And what was your master's in again? I know you have an MBA, right? No, um, I have a, um, oh, a public bachelor's health. in health administration, but public health is what my public master's Public health. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. So that's, that's interesting because you're blending the um, practical, you know, CNA, MA. A lot of people overlook them and say, oh, well, they don't have, you know, any education. They don't have degrees, yep. but they're trained. Like I, I'm surrounded by MAs at work now here at Yuma Clinic mm-hmm. Patrol. I mean, these girls and guys, you know, they know in that order, <laughs> they know medications like they're almost like are familiar with some of the more common meds, just like the doctors are, just like the yeah. clinicians, because they're the ones who the doctors tell them, hey, go give basic tracing to this person, go give this to that. So they know, like when you start talking to them, this is why I really think this is an unexplored area in, in research. Latoya, it's um, MAs and CNAs actually transitioning yep. to research because they just assume oh, this is not for me you know it's too complicated yep, yep. nope um, medical assistants are my favorite to reach out to for being a coordinator i think i would only hire medical assistants because a lot of times sites will hire a coordinator who has coordinating experience but if their phlebotomist is out what are you yeah. gonna do? You gotta have your patient come back. And it's like, I no, if I have a medical assistant, I can train you how to be a coordinator. But yep. coordinators, they may not want to draw blood. They may not want to do an EKG. They may not want to touch the patients. So it's like, nope, let me get a medical assistant. Or they just may not know how. And by the like, I have two employees here, Yuma Clinkotrell. One of them is a CNA, and the other one's uh she has a bachelor's degree, just finished college, and she's wants to go to get a doctorate in physical therapy. And yesterday the CNA was out handling some family issues and so it was just me and the this is why we couldn't do our podcast yesterday yeah right and thank you for rescheduling uh i knew i had to help her because she doesn't know how to draw blood she's super smart though but she doesn't have that ma background so i had to draw the blood because our the phlebotomist was busy and we don't want to have our patient wait in line so i just did it yeah. but if our cna would have been there we could have done our podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think we need to do like all series on that. But all right. So what was your first CRC job then from the MA? So I was working at um, MedEx Research in Chicago. And this is actually where I got the idea from because the owner of the practice, he lived in St. Louis and he had an office in Chicago one in Texas and one in New York, but he lived in St. Louis. And I'm like, how is he uh, running this? Who and is he this would dude? Hire Dr. Um, Greenwald. Okay. I miss him. Let's and, get him on a podcast. <laughs> yes. And so he would he would still come to the office every once in a while, but we had sub-eyes that were running the trials. 
And I was there in the office. It was a small office. I was the only coordinator. And I learned so much while I was there. I learned so much. Mm -hmm. He had someone come up from St. Louis to train me. And then after that, it was like, all right, you're on your own. But I always had access to them when I had questions. And I met the most amazing CRAs while I was there. And they, um, yeah, basically helped me and say, no, this is what you do. This is what you need to do. And it was an amazing experience. I learned wow. a lot. So you really got thrown into it then. I did. I did. That's the best way to learn. That's how I got. Th I got thrown into it. The, my two new hires. I mean, I threw them into it, but I was there. I didn't have that when I started. I was just literally thrown into it. But the CRAs were good. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how, like, a lot of people get have, like, basically the same themes to their careers. Mm -hmm. um, so then you did the coordinator for how long before CRA? Because CRA was next for you. Yeah, no, I actually went to the University of Chicago after that because I wanted to see how research was done on the in a university setting. Because oh, that wow. Completely night and day. And yeah. I really appreciate that I was able to um to dib and dab and see everything and you know, in a different aspect of it. And Dr. Greenwald said he was like, You're not gonna like it. And I'm like, Well, <laughs> let me see. And I went and I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. And oh my I'm gosh. going to tell you why. Yes. Because when you come from working at a private site and you're used to doing everything yourself, your patients come in, they read the consent, you can draw their blood, you do their vitals, they see the doctor, they can do everything within two hours. But when you're at the university setting, it takes forever to do one thing. You have to take them to the lab. You have to take them to see the doctor. You have to take them to radiology. So it's very time consuming. And to start a study, it will take a couple of months, whereas I can do regulatory on a Sunday afternoon and get it finished, whereas it has to go through so many steps and so many hands. It was too many hands in the pot at the University of Chicago, so it just took too long to get nothing done. Way too many, and I know I know the experience. Yeah, I get a lot of hate, Latoya. Like Occasionally, I put a video out like, if you get a job at AMC, that's fine. If it's your first job, I get it. You want to get that experience, but... You're not going to like it. I basically tell people, like, there's a, a few people that would like it, but most that are watching, like, this show, they have more ambitions, right? They don't just want a job. They want, like, a career. There's yeah. a difference between a job and a career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want a job, yeah, AMC is great. It's a job. You show up. It's stable. You know, you're told what. But if you want a career where you don't really know what your next opportunity may be, but you're willing to move with the market, I mean, that's different. And that's yeah. the people watching my show. So I feel like, okay, I can tell people like AMCs, I don't recommend. But if you get your first job, don't stay in there too long. I've had CRAs, Latoya, tell me when we hire CRAs, if they've stayed longer than five years at an AMC, we, they're untouchable. We don't want them. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You guys can hate Latoya too now. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to move around and see what's out there and get the experience so you can know what's good, what's bad. So you can compare it. Because if someone was to have a conversation with me, I can say, yeah, this is what you look for. This is what you really don't want. This is what's easy. This is what's complicated. But, you know, I just felt like my time at the um, University of Chicago was a lot of I don't want to say wasted time because I did learn some things yeah. because sitting at the University of Chicago was where I got the idea to start my own site because I, I hated the process there. I hated it. And I left mm. the University of Chicago with no job, with intentions of starting my company. 
let's talk about that. So, okay, this is, I don't think I've ever explored this angle with someone either. So yesterday, this reminds me of a call yesterday with, with my consulting service where we help people start sites or just get studies for their sites. You know, we basically do like a few calls a day. Yesterday, I talked to an oncologist, Latoya, from the greater uh, Dallas area. And she, she's a community-based oncologist, but she's right in the middle. She's like, I'm a little bit worried because I have Baylor University, Southern Methodist here. And she started naming all these AMCs. And I'm like, stop. I interrupted her. I said, stop, stop, stop. You're not competing with them. Yep. All right. This those sponsors, they're gonna choose those KOLs anyways because they want the name, but they're gonna choose you because you have real patients that you're seeing and yep. you don't have the red tape. So can you expand on this a little so they hear from someone else? Yes. So um and and the PI that I work with now, you know, she's in the middle of Houston. So there's a whole lot of different university settings. And she said the same thing. And I'm like, they can't offer what we offer. <laughs> you know, um, and we actually had this conversation again last night about a study because um, the, the study is going on at, at the university. It's like, I don't know, you know, we wouldn't be able to get those patients because they're doing it there. And I said, half the time, those patients don't even want to go to the hospital. You know, why would I have to go? First of all, parking. We want to start there. You have to find parking and then find the place where you have to go, which is a thing in itself when you want to speak about the patients. And then the patients are there longer the process is longer to for the visit to be done and then as far as like regulatory budgets and contracts it's so many different departments that has to write off on approvals <clears throat> that the sponsor is going to take forever for this study to get started and then you have to take into account once the study gets approved and started now we got to worry about the doctor's time because the doctor's time is a completely different time when you're working in a hospital versus a private office doctor has a little bit more availability. So it's just, like you said, a lot more red tape. You have to go through the local IRB and central IRB. And that's the one thing I hated at the University of Chicago, trying to match up these informed consents so that they can merge into one. I was spending so much time. And mind you, I've come from a private sector. So it's like, I know that there's an easier way. I know that it could be simpler, but now we have to do this. Now I have to get emails back and forth from the IRB and say, nope, this is wrong, this is wrong. Contact the sponsor and see if we can change this. And literally to come up with one informed consent form, it would take a good three weeks, a good three weeks. <laughs> to do something like at our site, you, me, all the other private site owners, we don't even do anything. You know, the sponsor yeah. just give us the thing. Boom. It's already IRB approved. Yeah. There's nothing we need to do. Just we need to make sure we print it out and use the right one at the next visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so and doctors like always are afraid like oh well you know how can i compete with a baylor now you're not competing it's a different league like they're going to use those kols because they have to mainly because investors want to see brand names as sites but they know they're not that's not their workhorses like those yeah. kols and we can talk about monitoring i've only monitored one amc I, I got a taste of it. You've probably monitored some AMCs. They're probably the worst sites to monitor. Yes, yes. And and not only not having space, it's like the availability of the doctor, the availability of the staff that you need to speak to because you have to go to, forgot to add about the pharmacy. You got to go to the pharmacy. So you got to reserve the pharmacist time. You got to reserve the doctor time. You got to make sure that the coordinator is available. It is too much. It's it a is nightmare. 
It's yeah. a nightmare. Forget the red tape. Like the red tape, the bureaucracy is one thing. Like on a macro level, I think we could all understand that. But you brought up a really good point. Like on a micro level, a lot of these AMCs, they're like huge complexes. Like there's like multiple buildings, usually in the middle of cities, where first of all, it's generally not safe to walk around. And these pe- people don't talk about this either. You're walking in between buildings. I had a I had a site in um, San Francisco, right? U- UCSF. They moved, so I was monitoring. They and they have like six buildings in this huge, like square miles of the city. And San Francisco now is not like San Francisco in the seven. Like it's dangerous. So you're walking, you're walking like you're a monitor walking with your backpack. They assume you got laptops and stuff. And I'm a, I'm a dude. Like you know, I could probably hold my own. Someone comes up on me, but I know CRAs that have been robbed, mugged, making these walks. So imagine patient, like cancer patient, like somebody who's already like not feeling great, you know, having to make these trips. You bring up such a good point just on that level alone. Like even if you have a small private site in an unsafe area, it's usually like you just go park right there and you just walk right right to the place. You don't go anywhere else. Yep, that's it. That's such a good point. It's a one-stop shop. So it may be, you know, instances where you have to go out somewhere or schedule an appointment for a mammogram or DEXA scan, something like that. But you're still in one facility. You schedule your appointment for your DEXA or any radiology another day. But once you come in the office, you're in the office. You're getting your blood drawn. You know, we have ultrasound techs on on staff where we are. But, you know, really don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Wow. That alone, that's such a good point that nobody brought up. All right, so enough with the AMCs, but you got your inspiration from the, working at the AMC to say, look, like, so that combined, I'm guessing, with your experiences with this Dr. Greenwald who kind of managed sites, and you kind of combined both of those together and say, you know what, like, I can do this too. Yeah, because like I said, I felt like I was wasting my time at the University of Chicago. I felt like I could be doing so much more. And I felt like I was better than that, better than that situation, better than, you know, it felt like I was on an island. And it it was just really, I just did, I felt like a bird in a cage. It was like, "Ah, this isn't me. But you know what, Latoya, so you're, I mean, this is the first time we're actually like talking, but I feel, I could tell you're an entrepreneur from just our, our conversation, but not everybody, and especially at the AMC, right? Not everyone is like that. So was that part of how you felt like a bird in a cage? Like, you know, your coworkers are like basically just going through the motions and you're thinking like outside the box, like yeah. differently, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it's, it's, it's something better than this. I, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> so I, I literally just quit my job. I quit. And um, I just went home and started a business plan. And coincidentally, I had um, texted a girlfriend of mine to um, drop off a birthday present. And she said, what are you doing at home? It's the middle of the day. And I was like, I want to start a business, clinical research company. And she's like, what you need? I said, a doctor and some patients. And she (laughs) said, I got that. And she was the um, owner of a um, home health agency. And she introduced Uh me to some doctors. And we went to these different doctors' offices, and um, happy birthday! <laughs> yeah. And and I and I I pitched myself. I, I told them what I know and what I can do. And this one doctor was like, "Oh yeah, I'm all in." 
And so as I'm shopping around for studies for him, uh, the doctor died. He died. Like I could, like I said, I couldn't make this stuff up. It was really wow. crazy. And we had got a hit and somebody was interested in working with him and he had died the day before. Was this in Chicago this, before this you got Chicago. to this is in Chicago. So you so, initially wanted like to do the site locally, which yes. makes the most sense, right? Like, yes. I want to, if especially if it's your first site, like I want to be, I want it to be where I can control it more or less. Yeah. So in between then, I had to like go back to work. So I took contract positions and. Um, I see that Chiltern, CRA yeah. at Chiltern. What happened to Chiltern? I remember doing studies with them. They got bought by somebody. They or bought what? by somebody. Yep. No, okay. they got bought by somebody. And I was just doing a contract position because I'm like, I'll just do this. In the meantime, so my business was always on the back burner. But I'm like, okay, I still got to you know, make a living for myself. So um, my friend, I worked for another company in Oak Brook, Affinity um, Health, Affinity Research, which was an amazing experience. Um, worked with Ali Ahmed. And they are really big in Oak Brook right now, doing a lot of big things. But when I started working for them, they had one site and one study. And they wanted to bring in someone with research experience that would be able to help them get more studies, to train their staff that's coming in, and just to help them grow. And that's what I was doing. So as I'm working with them, I'm getting experience and getting knowledge so that I can move on and do my own thing. But while I was working at Affinity, one of my friends came in and she worked she was a medical assistant and she was hired as a um as a coordinator and she got a ton of experience and she decided after about a year or so to move to houston and while she was in houston she went to a networking event and met dr richmond and she introduced me to dr richmond so that's how i ended Whoa. up in houston okay through this person who moved who she was what uh she was a coordinator at affinity and, and she moved, she to, moved Houston. to Houston and she went to a networking event and met Dr. Richmond and they were okay. just having a conversation. And Dr. Richmond was like, no, I don't know anything about research. I don't think I have, you know, enough experience to get into it. And Latanya, that's her name, Latanya. She gave me Dr. Richmond's number and we talked on the phone. I think the next week I came to Houston to meet her and mm. we've been inseparable ever since. So you were effectively Latanya's boss, yes. more or less? That means you're a good boss because somebody leaves. <laughs> that right there shows you, right? Somebody leaves. That speaks volumes of to you. Yeah, I have a lot um, of good relationships with um that's with, important. With that's important. You know, I think a lot of the you see you, you you've met, I've met so many people in this industry who rub people the wrong way. And they think it's they're doing it either because that's their personality or they feel like they can control things better, but it doesn't work out in the long run for nope. you. <laughs> Cause if you were like that, you would have never like had this site in Houston though. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, after meeting Dr. Richmond found out that she's originally from Chicago. Hmm. So um, like I said, we're in the process. She just um, applied for her Illinois license. So we'll be opening a site in Chicago. So we'll be, I'll be coming back. Wow, yeah. under the uh next next innovative uh clinical research? Yep. Saying you've been doing that since March of 2015. March of 2015. Yep. March 5th, 2015. Wow, you remember the actual I date? That's that awesome. Yep. And so 7 year, almost 8 years now. Yeah. Um and you never you never intended to 
manage your first site remotely, I'm guessing. No, and is managing remotely. And I, I go like every other week. I'll go down there for a day Oh, you or two go every other week. Okay. To make sure that the site has everything that they need, make sure that the coordinators are are fine. We don't need to order any supplies. And then I go down to see patients. How's that? Houston, Chicago. What is that? Like two hour? Hour and a half? Yep. It's it's, it's, it's about two hours and some minutes. And you I'll get up, up at the three miles? o'clock. You get yeah. a business yes. class yet? <laughs> yes. But I'll okay. get up at three o'clock in the morning so that I can be at the office by 730. And, wow. you know, I will see patients. I will have meetings. I will go down there for meetings often. And so, yeah, I was literally schedule everything for the time that I'm there. So sometimes you just go for the day and come back. You don't sleep there or any, I'm guessing, right? A lot of times, though, because I like to be at home. Wow. Well, you got to do what it takes. I mean, that's so FaceTime is still important, like being in person. There's no substitute, right? Because that yeah, was going to no be my question. Like, how are you as the owner? main uh, motivating employees when you're not there who knows what i mean you can only do so many zooms yeah so it's really crazy because the site is so amazing the staff is so amazing and they're like super motivated it was like oh we got to get these patients in and you know when i'm not even thinking about it, like they're actually screening patients that i'm not telling them okay this is a good patient like if a patient comes in and they think they may have fibroids I'm like oh you may qualify for this study and um, you know they they do a lot of um recruiting how do you set up own. that how do you set up that like motivation cuz for my new site it's a year old now we're trying to do that too but uh how do you me and my np business partner were trying to figure out the right ways to do it i don't think there is a right way but like how did you set it up and all honesty is it has to be in you. I mean, just like with me, I'm passionate about research and this is what I love. You know, that's what keeps me on the plane going back and forth to Houston because this is what I love doing. And I just so happen to link with people who are like-minded, who are passionate about something that they didn't even know about. But um, but that's Dr. Richmond's site that her um her staff is really committed to helping their patients. And the patient's health is always number one. And especially if they're working with um, individuals who don't have insurance, who may qualify for the study, they're definitely mm -hmm. pushing it so that they can get some kind of treatment or um, mm -hmm. exams, lab work. Yeah, better. I mean, sometimes with this Medicare, all you get is like <clears throat> a visit a year. Um, yeah. And then they're, they're just managing symptoms. They're not really looking at your health care. They're just making sure like, OK, you're not going in the hospital every year. Yeah. That's yeah. basically what our modern day healthcare system is um, for the, for those underserved. Uh, so Dr. Richmond, she has a private practice yeah. and then you guys are in it or you guys have a place next to her or how we're in it. We're in it because I found that that's easier, especially for a lot of um, new sites for, for people who are starting their, um, their sites. Um, it's easier if the doctor allows for you to be in the office, because if you have a place where the doctor has to travel, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit harder on them. It's harder to keep your PI um, because they have to travel to that location. But if you're already there, you know, they're like, okay, well, that's fine. You're already <laughs> here. Just, you know, just put the patient in the room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I found that too. I'm embedded in two doctor's offices here in Yuma. And the downside of that is a little bit of space constraints. So we're probably going to open a place like just to have a location, maybe for monitors and stuff, but we're still going to do like most of the activities at the doctor's offices because they're there. Like yeah. 
sometimes hard enough to get them to do what they need to do, even even when they're there. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's like really interesting. So, how many studies do you guys have now going on at any given time? Um, so typically, well, we're, I don't want to say we're still new. This is the first year that I've been 100% committed to it and I'm not working another job. So ah, okay. Because before I was, you know, working another job and trying to get this done. So this is the first year that I'm 100%, you know, site director, manager, like I'm doing everything. Um, so we are currently doing three studies right now. So we have the fibroids, um, birth control study. Um, asthma study and we have an HIV study starting next week. I see. Okay, so and then what? What are because my my new site? You know, we we're a year into it now. We're gonna start our second year. So we've got we have like we have six studies, but really only four that we can enroll right now because two of those studies are almost impossible to recruit for. I don't know why we even took them. But we have four, and we have like two uh, that have started. Two we're waiting to start. So really, only two right now. Our best weeks we've had two consecutive weeks where we saw seven patients for those weeks. But we're not consistent because we're new. So like some weeks we'll have three, some weeks seven, some weeks zero, and then some weeks like two. So I'm trying to get it to like be consistent at like five a week for a good quarter. That's yeah. like my next goal. Like what, how about you? Yeah. So that's um, similar to my goal. Um, originally, because I'm still using um, the staff that's in Dr. Richmond's office, we don't have a, um, I need to hire a full-time coordinator, but we're waiting till we're there. Um, so I didn't want to overwhelm them. So the goal originally was like, okay, if we can bring in two patients a week and then that kind of like, we thought that that's what we were going to do, but now it's almost like, all right, it might be one patient a day. So okay. I was like, I really don't want to over overwhelm them. But yeah. what I have found to be um, extremely successful in the past at other sites that I've worked at is doing open houses. So that's when you take a Saturday and you schedule a ton of patients. I think the most we've done was 20 patients at a time. And you have everybody on deck. You have all the coordinators, you have your ultrasound tech, you have your doctors, your lab person, everybody. And you see all the patients, you screen them at one time. Not at one time, but you know. Pre like pre-screen, pre-screen. Yeah. No, no, actually they, oh, were actual they we, would, we would consent them. Um, They would get their vitals done. We would, it would be set up where they would come in at like a staggered time. That's a busy and Saturday. That's a busy Saturday. How do you do the blood though? Because like, uh, we don't even like try not to schedule screenings on Friday because of the blood for Saturday thing. Like some mm -hmm. studies, it's weird. But how do you do that? How do you get around that? So for this particular study, um, you can do Saturdays. It was just it had to be submitted before like five or whatever. Uh, okay. Um, but for this particular one, the ones that had to go on dry ice, we just kept it frozen okay. until Monday. But the ambient was perfectly fine. Okay. But yeah, we would we would do a whole lot of patients on a Saturday and it was an exhausting Saturday, but we got a lot done. Wow. <laughs> OK, that's the wow. That's super good. Uh, So what is your staff right now? Like how how many do you have? Coordinator? We have um, two coordinators, one nurse practitioner uh, hmm. and uh, OB-GYN doctor and dermatologist. OK, OK. Uh, and. 
site director is like you, right? You're okay. And then Latanya still with you? No, she's not with me. She's doing some other things. Okay. Yeah, like those really good ones hard to keep. Uh <laughs> I remember my one of my first coordinators, she was um she's still with me now, but she was a started as a receptionist for my office in 06. And that's when I started and I started getting busy and I just asked her one day, I'm like, Hey, I think you need to be a coordinator and like, we'll hire another receptionist. So boom. Now she's still with me. She's, we gave her equity in one of our sites. So she's basically running the site. So I don't have to go back anymore. Yep. Like uh, they don't even know me at that site anymore except her. But yeah, the good ones are tough to keep because you know, they're like you, like how you were They're yep. They're going to do things for themselves too. Yeah. Um, okay. So were you having issues with staffing like during this labor shortage? Well, yes and no, um, because I did have a, um, a previous coordinator and when studies were slow, you know, it's like, well, really don't have too much mm. going on. Whereas I've never been uh, objective to anyone having a full-time job because I'm flexible. Dr. Richmond's flexible. So whatever was good for the patient and Dr. Richmond and the coordinator was okay with me. So if the patient, if, if it was a Friday afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, whatever the case may be, we, we've seen patients at any given time. So I never wanted to, um, because I didn't have full-time pay at the time, I didn't want to, you know, restrict anyone from, you know, making a living. So I just said, as long as the patients are seen and it's a good time for you and a good time for the doctor, good time for the patient, I don't care, you know, mm. Wednesday at seven o'clock. It didn't matter. So your site, now that you're focused like full time on it and you're in perfect time to, you know, I think research is in the middle of a boom. Um, All these pandemics now, like yesterday, I saw a monkeypox vaccine study, believe it or wow. not. Yeah. If you wanted, I could give you the lead on LinkedIn, but yeah. nobody else on don't message me about that, guys. Just <laughs> Latoya, because she's uh, doing the podcast. But yeah, the monkey. There's like, uh, I don't think my doctor wants to do it, but you know, it's probably a good. Like those vaccine studies sometimes are tough, but you have yeah. to like do volume. Um, yeah. So yeah, we don't I thought really COVID was tough. Like COVID, that was that was a different time. <laughs> well, I mean, Latoya, we're still in it. But... The girl, the girl I interviewed yesterday. Gabriella Marinello. I don't know if you saw it. I just put it up yesterday. She's a site owner in Miami. Yes, I did see. Man, she was doing 40 visits a day for her study. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I know those studies are a little different, but that's still a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of sponsors, they were like really eager to get like sites for COVID. It, it, it was it yeah. was crazy. Like we were getting emails. A lot. It had got to the point where it was like, yeah, we don't want any, mm -hmm. any more COVID. My PI didn't want to do any COVID studies. Um, okay. So there's a lot of ways to grow. So your doctor, your PI, family practice, she's going to get, she's in Texas. You have sub eyes in Texas, like OB, OBGYN. Um, I'm sure she's connected to other specialists if you get other kind of studies. Yeah. But then she also wants to get her Illinois license. So she'll be making this flight back and forth, too. Yep. And she already does, like I said, because she has family here. So mm -hmm. it only makes sense. You're already here. So is so and you don't have to share if you don't want to. But is she a business partner with you? Like, 
um yes and no so okay we have a lot of other things going on uh, okay okay yep because that's like a topic that you know a lot of these doctor when you find the good ones like at least from my experiences i always tended to just make them a business partner at some point but like you said like sometimes there's other stuff going on too like in our case there was a few where we do real estate as well so you know they're like part of your network no matter what but those good ones that are like connected to every specialist in the community i think those are the ones you want to keep because a specialist is fine but you may only get like one or two studies a year for a specialist but a your internal med family practice you know they're kind of connected to everyone so Yep. they're like perfect for research Yep. And then also I want to add, um, Dr. Richmond's office in Houston, she has a spa. So um, it's Ah, a spa connected to the office. So now we're trying to get more into um, cosmetic research. Um, no wonder you go there so much. Yeah. And the spa is beautiful. But yes, we, um, we're trying to get more derm and more cosmetic um, studies. there <laughs> okay there's derm has been hot the last year i have a dermatologist pi now too and we've been getting like we haven't had problems getting studies for him um they're not all easy though some derm studies are tough too I have worked derm um in the, in the past, Yeah. and I and I, I would say I, I actually enjoyed it because I enjoy studies, especially like acne warts, where you can visibly see the change Mm -hmm. yep versus their reporting. Oh, I don't have any pain anymore. It's like, how do I know? <laughs> yeah there i got a new respect for it because it was probably like one of my weakest areas of like i never knew much about derm conditions i started with psychiatry and i did that for a long time before i branched out into internal medicine cns is tough i mean cns studies are tough but that's all i knew And then so Durham, when people told me about Durham, I was like, oh, that's easy. But now that I'm actually doing it, it's not that easy. You know, it's still tough to like a lot of these studies, they have different assessments and they, Yeah. there's photographs involved and different like very nuanced rating scales. It's they all have their own challenges. Yeah. Yep. And that's why I like those things. That's why you have a good dermatologist because they know the rating scales. They know what they're looking for. So, you know, Mm whereas, hmm. you know, some studies, you know, a lot of the coordinator is taking on a lot of responsibility of knowing certain things. But when it came to derm, it's like I wasn't even trying to learn. I was just trying to I didn't want to be a dermatologist. I Yeah. want you to be a dermatologist because that's what you went to school for. And you know how to take that little thing and look at the warts and say what size it is. I, you know. <laughs> it's tough. It's like really nuanced. Um, Derm is like, I have a whole new respect for it. And I'm sure other specialties that I don't know much about similar, but uh, you're also a member of black women in clinical research. Yes. So I, You know, I've known Danielle, like when she started it, she actually inspired us to do Latinos in clinical research. I'm trying to find my hat, but it's not nearby. But I asked her, like, hey, this is such a good idea. Do you mind if we do Latinos in clinical research? Like if Monica and Judy and Ashley are on board, we're going to do it. She's like, yeah, the more the merrier, like we need more diversity in the space. And she's been able to just blow that thing up. Um, so how did you get involved with that? Yeah. Um, I want to say beginning of COVID, I was um, talking about my anniversary of leaving the University of Chicago. I made a, a post and someone had shared it with her and she reached out to me and we had a Really? conversation. 
Yep, that was two years ago. Was your post and like a rant? Like, this is why I left? And No, it wasn't a rant. I was oh. celebrating my anniversary. Oh, okay, because those do well on LinkedIn. Rants and negativity do well on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't do the rants. But I was just saying how I was happy and that that was the best move that I made, even though it was scary. I had absolutely no safety net. I didn't know what I was really doing. Mm. I just knew that I was. this is what I wanted to do, and I'll figure it out later. And she called me and, and we've been, we've been friends ever since. I actually had a call with her yesterday. So I think, I think she's on the right track. I've been meaning, she must be super busy because I've been meaning to do a part two with her and I just need to catch her like when she's settled in one place, like, but, and we talk about this a lot in Latinos in clinical research. I think what you're doing and what she's doing that's real equity, right? Like business owner, that's like real equity. Cause I feel like this word equity, and I want to get your thoughts on this. You're a, you're a minority in clinical research. Equity is thrown around just as a, it almost feels like it's thrown around to be synonymous with equality because they sound similar, but they're actually not the, it's kind of dangerous in my opinion to mix up those two words because equality is one thing okay equality like equal opportunity that's the way i see it but when people start mixing those words up they start saying well no equality needs to be that i have equity like i have the same financial gains as you and i've always thought you know it's dangerous to mix up those words because then you can get entitled and you know as a business owner like there's nothing handed to you you had to work for that equity you worked for that equity so what are your thoughts on that because i hate like when i see that um on linkedin and i don't think many times people do it on purpose but those two words shouldn't be mixed you're doing it the right way with like real equity and i think we need more minorities especially african-americans and hispanics in this industry to have real equity. And I I will say this much because it's so much so that in the beginning, when I was starting my company, I didn't want to put my face out there. I didn't want to say it was owned by me because I knew that there would be some disadvantages and people would look over me because they were like, Oh, you know, black girl from the South side of Chicago. What do you know about research? Because I've been in rooms and, and would tell people what I do. And they're like, well, how did you do that? Well, how did you do it? What do you, you, know, mean? It's, it's, <laughs> what do you, you mean? Know? They would ask you, how did you do that? Yeah, how, how did I start my company? How did I get into it? How did I gain the knowledge that I have basically? Uh, and, and I, I, I don't even take offense to it anymore. <laughs> I don't. Like they're surprised or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. And all actually, yes. And wow. It's, it's like I've worked really hard at this and I've been extremely consistent. And like I said, in the beginning, I didn't want to be the face of my company. My face was not on the website. It I was just it was just stuff. It was just stuff on the Web page. But then yeah. after a while, it's like, no, no, I'm going to put myself out there. This company is me. And if somebody, you know, wants to look at it any kind of way because I am African-American and that's on them, but we bring a lot to the table, which is the diversity and inclusion that everyone is speaking so highly of right now. (laughs) But um, it's it's like, that's a whole nother conversation because when I see a lot of companies do the diversity inclusion um, seminars, Mm -hmm. I immediately go to their um, board 
members and see. Let, let's see if they pay yeah you let's see that let's see the equity like where the real equity is at you yeah. could talk about equity all you want at conference oh equity and this is why i think that word needs to stop at those levels because yeah. like equality is fine e equality of of opportunity is fine but equity that's a whole another thing like that takes effort that most of the time leads in failure before it leads to success like they're making it seem like it's something you can just give away Mm -mm. no nope. <laughs> we talk about that forever been, uh, that's a that's a another <laughs> that's another conversation but what i do know is that i don't i want to say since covid things are definitely different things have definitely been different yeah i think like not just in our industry but throughout the whole culture of our country and probably even the world but let's just say our country there's been uh, a lot of polarization lately about, you know, equality and all that stuff. And I think on the surface, like people agree with the concept, but the way it's being implemented, you know, and in our industry too, like the way it's being implemented is usually for like just looking good, like virtue signaling, but they're not doing anything about it. Uh, I'm not going to throw their name out, but I know somebody who works at a big CRO, right? Check this out, Latoy. And I'm not even Latino. My wife is, but I'm not. I know someone works at a big CRO. They're pushing this this diversity initiative like everyone is. And so they did this thing about Latinos. And we heard about it through our Latinos in clinical research. That's why. And they're like, yeah, we're making a push to get more Latinos. But like, I'm frustrated with how it's going about. And I asked them, well, why is that? And they said, well, their idea of that is they're making us watch the movie Encanto and then writing a report on it. Like what? how yeah, like they think <laughs> they the upper levels at this Sierra all right, think that that's how you're gonna get diversity, like by making them plays watch a movie made by Disney, a cartoon. Like they think that's diversity initiative, and it's like, uh, no, like we need to actually talk about empowering people, you know, of all backgrounds, what they can do in this industry. That's real diversity initiatives, like what Danielle's doing and what we're trying to do with Latinos in clinical research. But that right there just gives you an idea of like how out of yeah. touch these people are, or maybe they just like they're not allowed to do certain things, so they have to just virtue signal and i feel like there's way too much virtue signaling going on right now yeah that's that's ridiculous in console okay <laughs> yeah so obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done still yeah absolutely it, and it's like and one thing i really do like about um black women in clinical research is that when you're in the industry this big you typically feel like you're alone and when i first started out in research i would go to investigators meetings and they were only be me. I would be the only person that looked like me. And I felt out of place. Um, a lot of times I felt like I didn't belong. Um, every once in a while, there would be somebody else of color. Um, but when the group came about, then it's like, oh, I work at this company and I work at, and it was like, wow. And then a lot more people started coming about. And it's like, it was other 
other areas of research that, you know, we didn't know about, that we didn't know exist, other positions that people worked. So I think that that having, you know, these um, groups with people of color where we can get together and say, oh, yeah, I worked here or to talk about different experiences. It's mm -hmm, like it's mm -hmm. the best thing ever. Yeah, I agree. And I, I I know it's anecdotal, but when I started, like it was like 2005, I used to go to these investigator meetings, too. And I would not never see like almost never see uh, African-American, Hispanic at, at these investigator meetings. And over the years, we have started seeing a lot more at these meetings. So obviously, the industry is moving in a positive direction due to a collective effort by people like you people like Danielle. So I think there is some change. Like I remember when my none of my CRAs were minority at all. Then over the years I started seeing some Asians, some black, Hispanic. So now it's like more of a I guess it is more diverse now like from a CRA perspective and from a site owner perspective too. So shout out to you um for making it happen because we definitely need more representation at the site owner level because why because it's to get the outcomes we want which is more minorities participating in studies yeah yeah absolutely because i actually um, i'm back in school um to get my doctorate and that's one thing that we've been talking about is um health disparities and a lot of times people don't think of it on the research level but if we're doing research and none of the people involved in the studies are people of color how do we know that these drugs work how do we know these drugs actually work for us? Mm -hmm. So, and it's not that there's a high instance of high blood pressure and, and people are not getting treated in the um, black community is we're taking medications and they just don't work for us. And, exactly. and this wasn't discovered in the research phase. Exactly. I mean, you're exactly right. There's even some drugs where like it's different effects on male and female. Yeah. So imagine there's different effects on, on different, uh, on different races. Like it's just, this is the way science is. Yeah, another aspect is like um I think if we have more representation at the site owner level and maybe even CRO or even higher level um a lot of the policing is done internally because you look at something like Tuskegee, right? It's I mean we we know for a fact there was no african-american site owner back then <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and that wouldn't have happened yeah. if we had someone like latoya running a site down there you'd be yeah. like wait a minute what no we're not doing this As a matter of fact you know who's like you would have blown the whistle so it's a lot of like policing of our own communities too because the underserved communities used to be the playground for big pharma to kind of do whatever they want i mean let's just be honest right like and now i don't think they can do that now like they might have to go to other countries to do that now yeah yeah it really wouldn't wouldn't fly here but the other thing is we're having um african-american sites pis when um people of color come in one thing they always bring up majority of the ones that's fearful they bring up the tuskegee stuff mm -hmm. and i'm always having to talk about that and break it down and let them know how that wouldn't fly these days like no that's not the good. Yeah. No. Can you imagine getting like the feasibility questioner for that study as a site owner and be like, how, what, <laughs> yeah. how is this like a thing that would have been yeah. stopped right away? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's still, when you think about it, it's still the craziest thing ever. And I understand people, their fears, because a lot of things like, I don't want to be a guinea pig. But mm-hmm. when you're speaking to someone who looks like you to calm your fears, then you're more likely to have, um, you know, recruitment and retention. You're able to yeah. keep your patients. You're able to bring them in. Mm-hmm. Same thing on the Hispanic side, like here in Yuma, it's like 60% Hispanic, but you know, and the Hispanic community has never had like a Tuskegee of their own, but they're they're still highly skeptical because usually in places like Mexico, you know, there's a lot of scams taking advantage of people. So they just transfer that mentality here. Like, oh, uh, if it's something I'm I'm not familiar with, like research, it's got to be a scam. So I don't want it. <laughs> That's so uh, it's definitely um, a lot of work still needs to be done, but we're on the right track with real equity. And I really like to have entrepreneurs from all all nationalities and backgrounds, but especially minorities, like we need to feature more. And, you know, I'm not interviewing you because you're a black woman side owner. I'm interviewing you because you're a side owner that I've been engaging with on LinkedIn. And I'm like, you seem energetic. Like, let's let's do this. Let's have this conversation. Same thing with Gabby Marinello yesterday, like. It just so happens that she's Latina, but that's not why I'm interviewing her. Yeah. So that's real equity to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Latoya, thank you so much. Any, well, we haven't done anything for like people that want to get in the industry. So, cause I know that's a big part of the segment. Like we've just been speaking mostly to the side owners, but any advice for like somebody who let's say is a MA, CNA or or even advanced degree that trying to get in. One thing that I've noticed is a trend now is a lot of people want to get into research because they heard it was good money. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't want to say that bothers me. Of course, everybody wants to make as much money as they possibly can. That's great. But the most successful um, people within any industry are those who have a passion for it. And if you have a passion for research, passion for learning, passion for helping people, you will be great. But if you don't, you think this is going to be a quick book. It's not going to be a quick book because it's going to be a lot of information that you have to learn and know. Like, this is a lot of stuff. And these are people's lives that's in your hand. So, you know, I always tell people, if you don't have a passion for it, don't worry about it. This is not for you. It's not for you. Yeah. I And I've actually looked into that a little more because that is a theme happening. But the um, your first job is going to it's not going to suck as far as like what you do. If you work at the right site, like someone like Latoya's site, it's not going to suck or like my site, it's not going to suck, but the pay may not be what you think because right. your first job, because it's very nuanced, very technical. Right. We can't risk our money on somebody who doesn't know what they're doing yet. We're, we're basically gambling on employees for their potential yep. is what we're doing. So your initial pay is not going to be great. But within a year, two years, three years and beyond, that's when you start getting into those outlier. Like when you compare those salaries with other industries of people in the same amount of time, we go on this like hockey stick chart where it starts out like basic. Like you're like, why am I doing this? I thought research is big bucks. And then if you just keep staying, boom, then it's like hockey stick. You know, it'll just skyrocket up in other industries. You'll just see like. Kind of like that. Um, That's what I've noticed. So, yes, you're right. Passion is what's going to keep you in to get to that second or third year. All right, LaToya, everybody go connect with LaToya right now on LinkedIn. Um, 
I'm going to give you that monkey pox lead. And um, yeah, like, subscribe, comment, share. We got to do a part two. Maybe we'll do like a six month or year follow up. When you open your Chicago site, let me know. We can do a part two. Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Everybody like, subscribe, comment, share. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you.